My name is Doyle Hodges, Executive Editor of Texas National Security Review, TNSR, and you're listening to The Wardcast, the members-only podcast for what you need to know now. On Sunday, November 13th, a bomb exploded in the Veola district of downtown Istanbul. On the busy Istiklal Kadesi, a pedestrianized shopping street lined with high-end shops and restaurants. The blast killed six and injured 81. Although no group has claimed responsibility, the Turkish government has blamed the PKK, or Kurdistan Workers' Party, for the blast. In a law enforcement sweep, they have arrested 46, including, they say, the alleged bomber. And Bulgaria has arrested five. Turkey has also conducted two days of airstrikes in northern Syria in retaliation for the blast. Here to help us put these events into context and explain both the history of terrorism, the Kurdistan movement, and Turkish responses is Aaron Stein, Chief Content Officer at Metamorphic Media and an editor at War on the Rocks. Aaron, good to have you here and good to have you on this side of the mic. It's good to be here and it's been a while since I've been on this side. So uh, thanks for having me, Doyle. So before we begin with the details of the blast, can you give us some context about the notion of terrorism in Turkey and the relationship of that to the PKK in particular and the Kurdish independence movement more broadly? Sure. I mean, the PKK has been around in Turkey since the late 1970s. It's been militant since the early 1980s. Uh, and I think for listeners, uh, the wave of bombings that, that Turkey has experienced particularly began anew uh, in 2015, 2016 with the breakdown in the peace process. Uh, Ankara subsequently launched a series of military operations, largely in the southeast of the country, but also in Syria and Iraq. Uh, and those have largely been clamped down on. Uh, we have not seen these large-scale bombings uh, in quite some time now, which is why the bombing that we saw um, a couple weeks ago uh, was newsworthy and kicked off a lot of anxiety in the country that could this be starting again? Could there be militant groups that are launching um, that are that are blasting bombs off in the middle of pedestrian areas like Istiklal and other places, and is the country set? Uh, and is the country facing another terrorism wave? So the bombing that occurred in particular in mid-November, do we know anything more about it than we did at the time in terms of who is responsible? I know that the Turkish government has attributed responsibility to the PKK, but what indications do we have to support that? I think history. Um, you know, in that this is not out of the norm for the PKK and that they do uh, blast off bombs in the middle of, of civilian areas, even though they claim not to. Uh, and the PKK, as best as that we can tell, you know, has sought to distance themselves from this. But that doesn't mean very much because their group regularly and frequently says that they're going to conduct reprisal attacks, as they say, for Turkish airstrikes going on in Iraq and Syria and elsewhere. With that said, you know, I think Turks are, are are skeptical, or at least some Turks are skeptical of the narrative because this is taking place in an information environment where any reporting that sort of goes against the official narrative is actually criminalized. And so you have this official narrative. Some people are scratching their heads about this official narrative and are sort of saying, like, is there a broader story here? Is there something that we don't know? And the answer is we don't know um, other than what it is that the, that the authorities have put out. Sure. So – the scope of the law enforcement and military response strikes me as either an indication that these bombers were particularly careless, if in fact all of these folks have been associated with it and could be rounded up so quickly, or perhaps the Turkey is using this as an opportunity to reach out and act against people who they believed to have been involved in the Kurdistan workers' movement previously and perhaps are concerned might pose a future threat. What's your assessment of that? I think it's a little bit of both. Um, 
because, again, the story is a little bit hard to parse and some of the angles don't quite match up with what we think we – with what we'd assume this type of bombing would look like, again, there is some some skepticism raised. The other is the speed of the crackdown. I am less skeptical on the speed of the crackdown. Uh, Turkey is – you know, in, in that part of the, of, the, of the city of Istanbul, it's a highly militarized place. Istiklal is very well patrolled. There are cameras all over the place. I don't find it to be all, be, all that beyond the realm of possibility that they're able to quickly round up people based on CCTV and all sorts of different doohickeys that they could put together. And I also don't put it beyond them to have a list of people that when it's time to raid a bunch of houses, they're going to raid a bunch of houses and they're going to detain people as they move forward in this process and whether or not they're formally arrested is to be determined. It also strikes me that the response has been particularly strong, again, both on the law enforcement and the military side. Historically, do strong responses like this tend to deter further terrorist acts, or do they go into even more aggressive or audacious tactics by those who are conducting the bombings? The PKK is, as I said, it's been a movement that's been around in a militant way since 1984. You know, and I think that there's no doubt with this latest wave of Turkish uh, military activity, which I said began in 2015, if you are looking at just straight up metrics, the amount of attacks have decreased and the places where the, the attacks uh, uh, are most concentrated are cross border. They're actually in Iraq where Turkish forces are actually occupying parts of the country, trying to wall off and build a buffer zone. So there are still attacks, but they are mostly on soldiers or outposts that are deployed in, other, in, other, in, a, in a different country. So in that sense, it's been successful. But is the Kurdistan Workers' Party disappearing as a movement? Um, I would say no. And so in that respect, it's actually stamping out the terrorist group, uh, is, is, I think, as all scholars of terrorism said, uh, will understand, is extremely difficult. Now, in terms of the, the scope and wake of, their, of, of, of the Turkish reaction, the broader context here is that you know, Erdogan and the Turkish president has been threatening to launch another invasion of Syria for months now, if not years. You know, and so the airstrikes seem to be taking place at a time when the government has been keen to launch another military operation in Syria. And so the question that people are, or that analysts are looking at is, are these airstrikes taking place? You know, will these airplace, airstrikes replace a ground invasion or are these airstrikes in preparation for a ground invasion? And Turkish president today, we're recording this on November 22nd reiterated his threat that a ground operation could be coming. And it is winter, right? The weather is about to turn bad, so it's not the best time for a ground operation. And so they, these airstrikes could be taking place, you know, sort of as the military preps and as the weather turns for an operation, perhaps later in the, in the, in the, in the year uh, or early next year, or not at all. Maybe they go next week. It really is up to them. So some listeners can be forgiven if they're confused by the notion of the Kurds as a group sponsoring terrorism, because certainly if you've been following events in Iraq, events in the fight against ISIS, there's been close cooperation between American forces and some Kurdish groups. And yet, like any nation and especially a people without a national territory, the Kurdish movement is hardly monolithic in what it is. Can you help us to understand the different strains within the Kurdish political autonomy movement and how those align in terms of U.S., Turkish, and NATO interests? Sure. I mean, the Kurds, I like to call them alphabet soup, right? So depending on where you are, there's probably a different three-letter acronym. And that three-letter acronym is, you know, stands for a phrase, you know, usually of, of three words. I think what's most relevant here is that 
The U.S. presence in Syria, where we still have forces and where the U.S. has residual interests in countering Islamic State, is predicated on a splinter group uh, from the Kurdistan Workers' Party or the PKK. It's a Syrian wing of the PKK um, called the YPG. Uh, and the YPG expanded during the American um, um, operation against ISIS in Syria, and they have a new name called the Syrian Democratic Forces, or SDF. There's three three-letter acronyms for you. These are different from the Kurdish groups that are in Iraq, uh, the primary ones being the KDP, which is led by uh, the Barzani family, and the PUK, which is led by the Talabani family. Again, now five three-letter acronyms. The U.S. has relationships with all of these. The problem with the current relationship with Turkey is that the PKK is a designated terrorist group. And we have fudged that a little bit by saying we don't designate the Syrian branch of the PKK a terrorist group, but the Turks say we don't see any difference whether they call themselves the PKK, the YPG, or the SDF. And so whatever it is that you're doing with them is bad, right? And this bombing in Istanbul that we we started the conversation with we can trace it back to that group in Syria. And so your support for them is leading to a direct security threat for us. And therefore, your Syria policy is problematic for us. And you are being a bad ally by supporting terrorism. Get out of our way as we conduct airstrikes, potential ground invasion, and please stop giving them support. That's sort of the the the, the issue in, in, uh, in less than two minutes. So Turkish President Erdogan has been a controversial figure, certainly in the United States. He has pursued a relatively independent path for Turkey within NATO. He has cultivated relations with Russia that are warmer than many other NATO partners. He has at times stood at direct opposition to U.S. interests in terms of the sale of the Patriot missile versus the S-400. He navigates a relatively difficult path. I think there is at times a tendency to perceive that if he has autocratic tendencies, he must have weakened support within the country and to perhaps look at these sorts of operations as a way to consolidate or bolster support. Could you sort of summarize what Erdogan's position is? Is he a popular president within Turkey? Is this something that will help or hurt his position, especially with the elections coming up in May? I mean, Erdogan's political movement came to power in 2002. I mean, it's 2022, so it's been two decades, right? He's been prime minister or president since 2003. He is Turkey's most powerful and popular leader probably since the founding of the country. Now, I guess the backdrop here is that he is slated for elections in June 2023, and the country is going through largely self-inflicted economic calamity, right? People are poor, inflation is out of control. Um, and so a lot of people, particularly in the opposition, view his bellicose foreign policy as a, as, a, as a tool for distraction from the country's main problems. Now, with that said, if you were to take a poll, right, of Turks, and again, like these polls are done, right, you're going to get 8.5 or 9 out of 10 people who say the PKK and their even like, like designated political movement that has some freedom in Turkey are bad. And if you were to poll them on terrorism questions, you're going to get 99 out of 100, right? So even if you don't like Erdogan, and 50% of the country does not, maybe even more at this point, nobody's going to turn around and say, well, we like those guys in Syria and Iraq. And we certainly like, we, we, and nobody is certainly going to turn around and say, like, we like the idea of bombs going off in our streets. And so that I wouldn't confuse opposition to Erdogan 
as support, you know, for a sort of less muscular and militant foreign policy on this issue, right? And so it, it, there is some nuance to parse out there. Yeah, that makes a great deal of sense. You know, Turkish security politics are fascinating because there's times when you think that it has to be operating on the basis of conspiracy theory. And in fact, at times it does seem to be that way. And then something will happen that actually ties all these elements together. I'm thinking back during the Organicon trial, the car accident where there was, I believe, the head of an intelligence service, an actress in machine guns involved. And you're thinking, how did all this come together? But uh, I really appreciate the clarity that you've been able to provide and help our listeners better understand and contextualize this latest attack and hopefully have a better sense of the importance of it and what it may mean for things to come. Thanks very much. My pleasure, Doyle. Have a good Thanksgiving. <laughs>